As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hi, I'm James Richardson with a quick word on the audio treats The Athletic have in store this season. Three times a week, you get the award-winning Totally Football Show with the likes of James Horncastle, Raphael Honigstein, Carl Anker and Rory Smith and me. Uh, Mark Chapman hosts The Athletic Football Podcast a flashy four times a week with David Ornstein, Adam Crafton and many others. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast will have all the women's Super League coverage off the back of their brilliant Euros. And the offside rule is back too with weekly episodes. That's not all. There are eight dedicated club shows. There's Adam Hurry's joyous football cliches show, Michael Cox's insightful athletic football tactics podcast, the offbeat TIFO football podcast, and a revamped football manager show too. You can get all of these shows wherever you find your podcast or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast, I'm Ian Irving and this episode is all about FC Barcelona. It's been the most enduring story of the transfer window, no doubt. A crazy summer of spending, of claim and counterclaim, of economic levers and new and weird and wonderful ways of running a football club it seems. We're going to explain it all over the course of the next hour. You don't want to miss this one. It's a difficult one because La Liga are doing something I think that's pretty brave actually in, in modern football to, to stand up to your own clubs and say you guys can't be trusted to run yourselves <laughs> The French club will pay his £198 million release clause at Barcelona more than doubling the existing record of £93 million that Manchester United paid for Paul Pogba last summer Barcelona as well is a club that is kind of an it's kind of a mood like the country shall have to feel that Barcelona is like contagious We're eating today and we might starve tomorrow So I'm joined by the brains behind the big read on Barcelona, which is available right now only on The Athletic, of course. It's reporter Adam Crafton and our football writer Paul Ballas as well, who've both been keeping a very, very close eye, and it's needed to be a close eye on the Catalan club in recent times. We'll also hear from our Spanish football correspondent Dermot Corrigan a little bit later on on the pod. Adam, Paul, thank you for doing this. Um, I don't know whether we should be pouring ourselves... um a stiff drink, a strong coffee, uh, running a bath of some description, but there's quite a lot to digest and get through. Um, We'll break it down bit by bit for people because there's no doubt that your piece jointly is one of the most fascinating reads on The Athletic in recent times because it's been the biggest story that has created the most intrigue Barcelona's financial situation, especially now they've become Levers FC as they've been nicknamed with this new technique of, of getting themselves out of the financial mess. Adam, levers one and two have been activated for some time. Can you just explain what they are and how they've managed to do it? Basically, each year, a club in any major league receives money both domestically and internationally for uh, the television deals that the that the, the division strikes. So in the case of Barcelona, La Liga have television deals that show uh, the, the Spanish first division in Spain and also internationally in all its different markets. And that's worth around 160 to 170 million euros a year to Barcelona. 
Um, those figures were a lot higher in the Premier League, for example. But for Barcelona, it's still a lot of money. Um, one of the ways that they've managed to get an injection of cash this summer is they have decided to sell for the next basically 25 years, 25% in total um, of their television money, their television broadcast revenue for La Liga uh, to a US uh, global investment firm called Sixth Street. And as a result, if it was next season, for example, 25% will now go to Sixth Street rather than to Barcelona. But in return, Barcelona have brought in, I think, over 500 million euros, which helps massively in terms of their their salary cap in La Liga at the moment and what they're able to do in this summer's transfer window. So the first one, uh, I think, was 10%. The second lever was 15%. It gives 25%. And and those were the first two levers. Okay. Lever three is the newest, of course, Paul. That's slightly different and maybe more controversial as well. Yeah, probably more controversial. I mean... um it's basically selling 25% of Barca Studios, which is the company or the branch of the club that was supposed um, to exploit all the multimedia content and all the production. But it also includes like the metaverse. And basically the club expects uh, one, 100 million of euros. And they believe, um, well, it's going to come from, from socios.com, uh, of course. Um, I think that Joey Dorso um, has done a lot of stuff uh, around Sofius.com at The Athletic. So yeah, basically uh, what Barcelona expects from that third level is just to have um, everything kind of sorted, to be able to sit with La Liga in the coming weeks and to present them an, uh, their account and their numbers and show them that they are ready to register every player, which is probably like the main issue that they have. Because as of now, they have signed like a lot of good players <laughs> and expensive yeah. players, but they are not registered into the team, which is, yeah, uh, as we were saying, probably the main issue that they have right now. Yeah, just when we thought Barcelona's financial situation wasn't confusing enough, the word metaverse came into the conversation, didn't <laughs> exactly. it? Um, exactly. In terms of this third lever, Paul, was this a last resort for Barcelona then in your mind to, to being able to register the players? We'll get into all the detail around how they'll be able to do that, if they'll be able to do that, when they'll be able to do that. But on this particular point, is it, is it a last resort just to get them over the line? Yeah, it's not the last last resort, but I think that the plan A for what we've known, like speaking to sources in Barcelona, was to sort it out with the first two levers. Um, their plan was just to pull two of these famous levers and leave like the third one for the future or exploit it like in following summers because, of course, the money that they will get now into the club is not going to come in the following years, as Adam was saying now, was, was explaining perfectly. Um, but yeah, I think that the situation and how the transfer window panned out, I think that Barcelona found a lot of problems shipping off some of their players. So they had to pull the third lever, which I think, for what I'm feeling, I, I mean, it's not the last thing that they got in their pocket because they could uh, sell like a 49% of their merchandising branch. But the club is planning to keep that um, by all means because they feel that it has some potential in the future. And Barca Studios right now, which is the third level that they had in mind, it's a part of the club that doesn't provide benefits as of now. So they believe that it was probably one of the parts that was worth it to sell, if, if you can call it that way. Um, but yeah, let's see how it goes. How much of a gamble is all of this, Adam? Well, it's a huge gamble in that, you know, Barcelona are, to cut, I, th- I was speaking to one former Barcelona executive who said to me, you know, we're, we're eating today and we might starve tomorrow. I think that's quite a nice way of putting it. They're getting a big injection of cash and it means that further down the line, they will have less in their pocket at the, at the end of each year because a percentage will keep going out of the club to these private equity or global investment firms. The flip side of it is, what's the alternative for Barcelona, right? They've gone three years without winning the the La Liga title. They've not been in a Champions League final since 2015. They've lost Messi. They've lost Neymar. And it's all a bit of an identity crisis for Barcelona Mm. because they've, even though probably historically they were a team that defined themselves more by the aesthetic, you know, this is how we play, we develop players. I think over the last 15, 20 years, they've become more of a, a club where we have to win. We have to win, just in the same way as Real Madrid have to win. And it doesn't help, you know, Real Madrid have won four Champions League since Barcelona last won one as well. That stings, so, doesn't it? it? It does. And it creates and a sense of desperation that means things like this have to be done to try and find a way to compete with that. 
Exactly. So, so is there a risk? Yes, because they are mortgaging their future to fund the present. But if they weren't to do this, if they weren't to pull these these levers at the moment, the alternative is basically sell off all your star players. So sell off De Jong, sell off Pedri, sell off Gavi, um, go with, with a weaker squad for quite a long time. And as a result, the fear is, or what Barcelona argue, we fade into irrelevance and we then, you know, we, we won't be in a position to compete anyway. So what they're saying is they have what they call a virtuous circle. That's the business model. This virtuous circle where if you invest in players, if you invest in the talent, that develops a brand, that builds into the style of play, all of which means you win games, you drive more revenues, you can grow in sponsorship. That's the bet they're making. Invest to grow. Yeah, it seems an ideal, doesn't it? And it it makes sense when it's spelled out like that. I suppose the concerning thing from the outside looking in is that Barcelona, Paul, you detail that they're going to lose 40 million euros there or thereabouts next season. But then that goes on for 25 years. The TV deals in the future could be bigger. Inflation will mean that the the deals are are, are worth more as well, obviously. Um, They're going to lose a lot of money, aren't they, over the next 25 years, which, okay, might mean that they can compete now and they can sign all these amazing footballers in one summer, but they're going to be really held back by this in the future, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's going to have a, like a massive impact. But the hope inside the club is that they are going to find out or they will have to find out like another way to do it, another way to generate like this kind of income, this kind of revenue. It can go through like selling players in the future. We, we don't know, but as Adam was saying, like the main priority right now at Barcelona just was just to recover that status, being again a, like a big team, being respected in terms of signings, um, in terms of like the pedigree for, from, from other clubs. And I think Barcelona as well is a club that is kind of, an, is kind of a mood. Like the city, the, I mean, the country still have to feel that Barcelona is like contagious, that they, have, that, that they have a right to get behind the club. And I think that in the recent season, they lost that. They lost any kind of just hope uh, or just expectation that they could win. And I think that Laporte is quite good with that because after probably one of the worst seasons, in their recent history, just not getting through like the knockout stages of the Champions League was really humiliating for, for the Barcelona fans. Just th- thinking about it now and feeling like Barcelona are like in a position that, why not? They could compete for U- European big wins. Um, that's a massive step for the fans, um, for the club itself. And that's what they were looking for. Just, yeah, just for a better state of mind, basically. And explain the, the nickname as well, Levers FC, FC Palancas in Spanish, is that Palancas. correct? Is, is this yeah. sort of going around Spain on social media and elsewhere? Is it going to stick? Is this Barca's yeah. new name now going forward? You have a good accent, Ian, by the way, <laughs> let me tell you. Gracias. FC Palancas. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was kind of a joke. I think that the Palancas term, like the Levers term, was a good idea from, from Laporta because it's kind of a funny thing. But now it has like entered into the minds of everyone and now mm. everyone when you say levers like everyone know basically what it is but in financial terms it's kind of a loan if you want to say it that way but with the levers they found like just yeah just a funny way to name it and yeah it's it's kind of a joke on, on social media probably Real Madrid fans or football fans just taking a pawn on Barcelona um, but I think that Barcelona fans just in social media the, the, those kinds of oh, of fans that are more concerned in like today's success probably that in that yeah. in tomorrow's success of the club they are happy with it so they're happy with the palancas they're happy with the levers yeah okay before we get into the weird and wonderful world of barcelona's summer transfer window um i think we probably need to spell out at this point adam why they're in such a mess uh, financially and why it's necessary uh, to become levers fc for the summer um <laughs> in the piece it details that at the last announcement it was 1.3 billion euros Barcelona's debt and the wages at that point were 103% of their income for the previous financial year and that was after Lionel Messi had left God knows what it was like before um how yeah I suppose it depends who you speak to close to Bar- close to Barcelona I think you know the 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 previous president uh, Josep Maria Bartomeu was he, he would argue you know Covid hit and that meant that revenue streams dried up and Barcelona, you know, Barcelona, I think 2018-19, they became the first sports team to hit $1 billion in revenue, Extra- like extraordinary achievement. The problem was they were spending almost all of it on player salaries. 
Um, the the you know, start push- about about them being the highest salary in Manchester United being second, and they were still thirty three percent higher than right. Manchester United is startling, isn't it? I- exactly. So that's where it becomes, you know. So Bar- Bartomeu would argue there's two, you know, there's two things that cause this financial crisis for Barcelona. One is COVID, and then the other is you have these clubs that with links to nation states like Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, and over the last 10, 15 years, having to compete with those clubs has driven Barcelona to spend and spend and spend beyond their means just to try and keep on their coattails. Now, I think other people would counter and say, well, you know, nobody's forcing you to go and spend what you've spent on, you know, I mean, Messi's, Messi's contract was like absolutely ridiculous. You know, I'm sorry, Paul, I know you're from Catalonia, but... That I'm going to blame like, you. Don't worry. What was it, Adam? If anyone's <laughs> not read it, it yet, was, I think it was something like six hundred and seventy-five million dollars. The last renewal between two thousand seventeen and two thousand twenty-one. If every single condition and clause was met, not all of those clauses were met. But like that—that's the kind of level we're talking. It, you know, it was by far the highest salary in the world for sport. But it wasn't just him, right? It wasn't. It wasn't just him. There were so many players that were massively overpaid. Um, you know, relative to their skill set. So, so it was the financial mismanagement, both on transfer fees and salaries. And it all really goes back to when they sold Neymar to PSG, I think, yeah. 2017. 220 million euros drops into Barcelona's accounts. Okay, it works more in installments, but ev- everyone who was, selling, who was selling to Barcelona knew they've got 220 million. And they made some terrible decisions. I think around that time, they were offered Mbappe when he was at Monaco. They didn't, they didn't go for him. They were sort of offered Haaland. They didn't think he was the right profile for the club. And instead, they went for Usman Dembele uh, from Borussia Dortmund on a huge transfer fee. They went and got Philippe Coutinho uh, from, from Liverpool. What was that? Like over 100 million, something like 145 million, yeah, yeah. including 145, yeah, 145 yeah. including the clauses. Neither of those deals worked out, but there were so many more that didn't. You know, they went to sign Antoine Griezmann again, another 100 million. You know, they borrowed all the money to sign Antoine Griezmann. They did not have that money. Um, so when Bartomeu argues, you know, it was COVID and it was trying to keep up with state aid clubs, it was also some really poor decisions um, by Barcelona at the time. That's what's driven us really to the point that we are now. You mentioned some of the headline names that were brought in after Neymar was sold, but even some of the secondary names, they just weren't a success. There's no way that you can you can phrase it like that. Some of the players are actually the ones that Barcelona are desperately trying to get rid of at the moment as well. You look at Paulinho, Nelson Semedo, Gerard Delefeu, Malcolm, um, Frankie de Jong, uh, Martin Braithwaite, Neto, Junior Firpo, Emerson, Mark Cucurea. None of them. Depay. Memphis Depay, yeah, right. none of them made an impact, did they? Um, that, that that was needed really to even begin to replace um, such a big a big part of Barcelona's team. Um, further to that, though, Paul, is the fact that no one seemed to flag this up at the time, did they? No one seemed to say, "Are we sure we're doing this the right way?" Certainly, from a wages perspective, okay, people can spend money on transfers and get it wrong. Lots of clubs, lots of managers, lots of sporting directors have done that. But to let the wages get so out of control, did no one pick that up? Especially because at Barcelona, the fans have such a big input into into how the, the club is run, supposedly. I think it was basically like lack of leadership. Lack of leadership from the board, from the president itself back then, Josep Maria Bartomeu, because of course he had the right to go to the dressing room or to go to anywhere in the club and say, OK, that's enough. I mean, I cannot do that. I cannot put at risk like the state of the club. I mean, he even signed for some deferred salaries for years that he was not expected to be in the club. So it was just like sorting himself out and then just giving the problem to <laughs> just just to the very next board. As Adam was saying, if you dig deep, that's basically just the start of everything. Just after the Neymar's departure, not just like the investment like on new signings, but the decisions made from the board. One, um, crazy new contracts, not just Messi, uh, Luis Suarez, Gerard Pique, Sergio Busquets, Jordi Alba, Sergio Roberto. Think that Sergio Roberto um, last year was earning more, more money than Romelu Lukaku at Chelsea. That's kind of mental. Kind of. Kind of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, yeah, just, just, yeah, to, to put it mildly. Plus, in terms of signings, I guess that the sports criteria as well wasn't like the best. I think that the board back then was very much influenced by the noise around the club. Like the media saying, yeah, we're not playing good enough. Okay, so the solution is just to make a big signing like Antoine Griezmann. Ah, 
probably that wasn't the way that Barcelona was operating back then. Um, and it's what's bring Barcelona to the state they are right now. So let, let's talk about the transfers then. Jules Koundé was announced at the start of this week as the sixth arrival of the summer, something like £150 million spent signing Frank Kessie and Andreas Christensen. Admittedly, they were free transfers, but Rafinha, Robert Lewandowski to add to that as well. We know now, by the way that you two have explained it, how Barcelona were able to afford those transfer fees. But the issue that they've got, Adam, is being able to register these players to actually play in La Liga. This is definitely a loaded question, but why simply do they have an issue registering the footballers? Yeah, so I spe- this goes back to around 2012-13 when La Liga introduced what they call economic controls. Um, and the idea is very similar to UEFA financial fair play. Um, in that it's, you know, to really massively simplify it, they, they want a club to be run sustainably. They don't want that much more going out than what's coming in. And you're minusing off a club's revenue, uh, the operational costs for each year and also debt repayments. And for Barcelona, that's been a huge burden in recent years, which has meant that, that you know, what they've been allowed to do from a salary point of view has been, has been really, really strict and tight. What they are hoping is that these levers that they've pulled will mean that La Liga look at the current situation and say, you've reduced it enough and you can register these players and you're within the limits. My my feeling is they're going to have to get some players out still to, to register all of these players. So from conversations over the last few days with some people that are pretty well connected on this stuff, La Liga starts next weekend. So not this coming weekend, the one after. I think they play Barcelona play Rayo Vallecano. I think at the moment, the expectation is from La Liga, Barcelona will have some of these players registered, but probably not all of them. I don't think it's as severe as it was in terms of maybe three weeks ago, we're thinking you've got to sell Frankie de Jong, but I think you probably do need to get Memphis Depay out and you probably do need to get Umtiti out, his wages, and you have to get Ricky, uh, Ricky Puig, which I think will happen. Serginio Dest. So it's some of those fringe players that need to reduce that wage bill still. Basically, when I asked or when we asked like Barcelona sources, like in terms of why are you signing Robert Lewandowski? Why are you signing this kind of players? Um, they, they were telling you, look, our problem is not cash because we got cash. We got loans from Goldman Sachs. We got money right now. Just the problem that we have is meeting the criteria that the La Liga has set for us. So in terms of cash, Barcelona has sorted they way out of this um, but yeah just Adam was saying now I think that the key is going to be like the Operation Salida Operation Exit as they say it here in in <laughs> Spain um, and yeah uh, Ricky Puig is I think he is heading to the MLS Oscar Mingueza has already uh, sealed the move to Celta de Vigo and it's just basically just letting players go just to free up a space for the salary limits basically but one of the things that's going to be an issue is even if Barcelona get these players out so many of them are on, on wages that are so high that Barcelona will still be paying some of their wages. So I think, for example, Clement Longley has just Langley gone to Barcelona is paying. Yeah, right, yeah. has gone to Tottenham on loan, and Tottenham Premier League club in the Champions League, they they weren't prepared to pay all of Longley's salary. So I think Barcelona is still paying over fifty percent of that, and that's going to that's going to be a story with so many of these deals. I think you know maybe someone like De Jong, someone who's really in demand, is an exception there. But a lot of these players, that's going to be what happens. So I think even Messi is still owed money from Barcelona. <laughs> you know, a lot of these wages were deferred as well. So even you know people are talking about Frankie De Jong because of the big numbers he's owed, but a lot of other players agreed to defer wages and are expecting to recoup that down the line. So there's a lot of difficult conversations and a lot for Barcelona to thrash out. But if, if you're asking, will all of these new signings be playing for Barcelona this season? It, they just will be. It's still, I think, the hunch that everyone has, right? But, but, but we've just said there that they might not be playing in the first game. So do we know what the, the threshold is for these players to be able to be registered to play? Do, do we know what the, what the difference is going to be between them not being registered or being registered? The threshold isn't transparent at this point. Okay. So we're, we're kind of at the mercy of whatever happens in discussions between Barcelona and La Liga. And it's- so surely Barcelona don't know for definite then, do they, at this point? No, but, no, but they are quite confident. They are quite confident. Um, 
there's another thing here that some people which is involved like in the club has defined how this industry works something like yeah if you tell that to any like business school in the world they just put their hands into their head and they wouldn't <laughs> believe how it works that's football but yeah. it works like that that that's just football that's how it works so that's quite mental the fact that barcelona believes that they met all the criteria to register players but they don't know for sure and have to sit down with la liga and just discuss every kind of detail so yeah it's not clear right now wow See, that that's one thing, Adam, as well, that I find fascinating about this, that Barcelona have been so bullish and just gone out and done this, despite the fact that they need to have the project Salida. Because now clubs are going to know that they're in quite a desperate state. And I guess it explains why Manchester United maybe are still hanging around this deal, because they still feel like there's a situation that can be exploited. And we'll definitely get into whether it can be exploited and the, the different parts of that a little bit later, Paul, because your eyebrows went up instantly when I said that. Yeah, yeah. I was ready to jump in there. Yeah. <laughs> Adam? I, I think we're probably giving United a little bit too much credit in terms of, you know, I don't think it was ever the plan that they negotiate for 13 weeks and and hope to get him right at the end of the window, right? He's no. One of the key targets for Eric Tanhag. He knows the player. I think it was a deal they were hoping to get done several weeks ago. You know what I it's mean, though? Worked. There will be other clubs hanging around looking at some of the players that you mentioned 100%. before and just exploiting this situation. It sounds like Tottenham sort of have with the wages, yeah. certainly. 100%, 100%. I think one of the things, one of the trends of this, this market, speaking to other Spanish club executives, is because all these clubs around Europe know that uh, Spanish clubs have to comply with these very strict limits, it, it means that they're really struggling to sell abroad in, in a competitive way because you know they, they know that, that they're in a really vulnerable position where they may not be able to register new signings unless they sell players. It's a difficult one because La Liga are doing something I think that's pretty brave, actually, in, in modern football, to, to stand up to your own clubs and say, you guys can't be trusted to run yourselves. So every year, we're going to look at your audited accounts and make sure you're looking after yourselves because we recognise you're really important assets to your community and we need to protect you. Um, the problem is you don't have every club around, every league around Europe doing it. So I think some Spanish clubs are a little bit frustrated with it because they feel like you know they want to just spend to grow a little bit more. And not everyone can attract what Barcelona have been able to attract. They don't all have assets to sell and they can't all afford to take the risk of you know mortgaging their future uh, in the way that Barcelona have. No other clubs can do what Barcelona has done with the Livers. No other clubs in Spain can afford that because they are not going to get the money that, that, that Barcelona got for that. And then another thing that, that you were like mentioning is like clubs waiting for the Barcelona situation, but no one can actually like afford salaries of players that, that Barcelona want to offload. So Barcelona has a huge problem in that as well. It's not important that clubs are waiting for Barcelona just to, yeah, let's see which player can we sign for them because they just cannot afford the salaries. What amazes me about all of this is how public it all is as well. Like we're, we're sitting here now almost aware of the players that they want to get rid of and need to get rid of. And some of the figures that are involved as well seem to have found their way at different points into the media. But the aspect to that really that I think is most interesting in a sense is that these players are still being attracted to Barcelona, Paul, aren't they? Kunde's chosen to go to Barca over Chelsea. Rafinha's rejected Chelsea and Arsenal to go to Barcelona. Um, Lewandowski, all right, he's he's 33 years old, but he's still one of the best strikers in the world. He's got one of the greatest records in recent times. There, there doesn't seem a question that these players would go to Barcelona, despite the fact that they've got players in the squad at the minute that they're trying to sell, that have got wages owed um, and all the ethics that goes with that. There's no one even put off by that? No, no, and virtually that's what gives Joao Laporta and the Barcelona board all the hope that they can find their way out of it because they see that players are really interested in, in going to Barcelona. I think what people from the club is saying that Xavi has played an important role of the, with that, that some players see Barcelona as the team that they used to admire or to, to look up to, something like that, and having a figure like Xavi that can tell them the project and the way that they want to play, it's kind of seducing in that way. Plus, Barcelona just... Let's remind to ourselves that Barcelona is a great city to live. It's a club that can promise to the players that they are going to create like big brands in terms of player. Um, Robert Lewandowski has done like three seasons at Bayern that probably if he had played for Real Madrid, he would have a couple of Ballon d'Ors by right now. But mm. he was a Bayern de Munich and he doesn't have Ballon d'Ors. So Barcelona 
it's kind of playing with that, with the brand, with all that comes along with the club. Um, and yeah, basically, I think that's, that's what makes them proud right now. It's kind of amazing that all these players that are signing for Barcelona, and, and really, you know, we're talking about probably the most in-demand players of this summer's window, Kunde, Rafinha in, in particular. Um, and I think that's why there's really heightened feelings. You know, from those outside Barcelona at the moment, yes. there's a lot of really pissed off football yes. fans right, who are looking at Barcelona doing this. How, and thinking, why? How, why? Yeah. How can this be allowed? And I think also there was that sense from rival fans of, well, Barcelona are finished now, right? We don't have to worry about them. <laughs> and all of a sudden, yes, you you've got Barcelona roaring back. And I think that unsettles some people. I think there is a bit of jealousy there, uh, and as well as genuine concern from, from some people as well. What, what's interesting to me is a lot of big players have been at Barcelona in, in the last few years and had really horrible experiences, hmm. both on the pitch, off the pitch, in terms of you know the way that they feel they were treated. You know, the contracts of... Lionel Messi, Antoine Griezmann, Frankie de Jong have all found their way into Spanish newspapers. I think there is a real feeling that, you know, in order to register players last summer, for example, there was a huge amount of public pressure put on Barcelona first team players to either reduce their contracts or defer their contracts. It was made very clear in the media what they earn. And it was kind of this almost like this battle between if you don't do this for the club, then you don't care about the club. The club has to come first. And, and all these players have done is signed the piece of paper that was put in front of them. It was offered to them, yeah. Right? They weren't the ones stupid enough to offer the money in the first place. Obviously, Barcelona would say it wasn't us, it wasn't this regime that offered this money. It was the previous presidency. But, you know, you look at players like uh, Dembele, for example, in January, where Barcelona were basically, I think, Matteo Alemani, the sporting director, went on Barcelona television and said, he needs to find another club by the end of the month, right? (laughs) Or he'll be in the stands. And it, it basically ended with the Spanish PFA getting involved and saying, you know, you can't treat players like this. Um, and I think Frankie de Jong, you know, Gary Neville's called it a, a form of bullying. You know, Bar- Barcelona have been saying over the past few days, uh, Laporta said, you know, we really want Frankie de Jong to stay. We love Frankie de Jong. You know, we're doing everything to keep Frankie de Jong. And it's kind of, will Frankie do everything to stay here? And And, and I think what is implied by that is, will he just reduce his wages a little bit in order to do so? And I think Frankie de Jong is rightly just thinking, well, I signed a contract, I'm owed that money. And and that's, you know, I, I can both stay at Barcelona and earn my money, right? I don't have to do anything. And I think, I think that's where the tension is. And that's where it's become from the outside quite unpleasant, I think, for, for quite a few players. Um, all the players that have been left out from the US tour, that they are players that have been told that they can leave the club and that they should leave the club but at the same time they are providing the players with a personal uh, coach with with all the kind of facilities that they need to com- to comply with all the rules of the PFA so I think that Barcelona are kind of playing it on a clever way and they're basically because it's like speaking with agents and people that know the club and people who has been close to players in the club they admit that Barcelona are being like tough guys like like the rough guys, like the bad guys that operate in a way which is probably not the way that you should do it, but it's the only thing that Barca can do right now because if they operate in the way that normal clubs do, probably they would lose players. They have to negotiate with installments, they have to put pressure on the deals to get them sorted. Um, We've seen that with Rafinha, we've seen that with Kunde, that the way to convince Kunde was basically Xavi going to Kunde and saying him, look, you can have like a good project here, I'm going to rely on you, I'm just asking you for a favour, just to say no to Chelsea and come with us. And more or less, this was what what happened so and Bernardo Silva is still being linked Adam as well um I thought Jules Kunde was a, a step beyond for what even Barcelona could achieve even with all the levers and everything else but that's old news almost now um could he yet go over to Spain as well well I mean we've spent all summer hearing names and thinking there's no chance right <laughs> yeah with Barcelona and then it happened yeah so He's a player that you know they wanted last summer, but obviously it was impossible to do. It's a player Barcelona clearly love. I think, I think Bernardo Silva would quite like to go to Barcelona in an ideal world, um, and you can you can understand that. Um, so if Barcelona want him, and he wants Barcelona, then I think there's a decent chance it happens. 
where there's an exception here is Man City don't have you know they never have to sell really you know they've 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 done their sales I think they've for done this quite summer. a lot of that already this summer yeah, haven't they yeah yeah they're not under pressure to bring money in I think it would probably take Bernardo to to really ask for it and also City to have a replacement and at the moment I know there were some reports about Paqueta at Lyon um, for for example but you know I know Lyon are also themselves trying to drive a transfer there. At the moment, that I think that's probably the, the difference that you know you don't have a willing seller. You know, for example, with Bayern Munich and Lewandowski, Bayern Munich were delighted, I think, to take forty-five million euros for Lewandowski when he's got a year left on his contract at the age of thirty-three, thirty-four. I think Nagelsmann wanted to change the way they attack anyway. Um, Bernardo Silva's different. He's a player at the peak of his powers, uh, arguably the best team in the world. So it would be a massive statement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to write it off, but. I think that probably they would need to sell Frankie de Jong, of course, to sign him. If they don't sell Frankie de Jong, I, I cannot see the way that, that Bernardo Silva can be squeezed into that wage bill and into that team. But yeah, just I think that the only chance that Barcelona has for that, and speaking again with people of the club, they kind of admit that, is that Frankie de Jong leaves, and then the club will be in a position um, to afford his wage and just to trust Xavi that he needs a replacement. What are the chances of De Jong actually leaving now, Paul? Because I think Adam said it before, um, 13 weeks now Manchester United have spent chasing him. Chelsea's name, of course, has been mentioned more strongly in recent times. Could he just stay after all of this? Yeah, I think that the fact of Man United lasting 13 weeks in there without signing him um, puts quite clear that it's difficult for him to join Man United. If he hasn't done that by now, I mean, is he going to do it? I have several doubts at the moment. I think that he could stay and he could leave. What transpires from, from Barcelona sources is that they are working, um, counting on him inside the squad. Um, but at the same time, um, they are going to be happy with him leaving in terms of they would make their life easier in terms of ba- balancing the numbers. But yeah, I think it's Frankie the Jong choice and Frankie the Jong is not going to lose his status. He's in a city that he loves. He's in a club that he loves. He has an appreciation for Barcelona. It was like his dream, as we were saying, when he was a child. Um, and I think that for him to leave that place, he would need to go to a better city, uh, a best place where him and his family would be happy to live in and in a club where he would play the Champions League. Because if you go to Man United right now, no one gives you guarantees that you're going to play the Champions League next season or in the following seasons. So it's a sort of thing that is important to to to. Frankie de Jong, which I think that in the pre-season... I th- I th- I th- yeah, I think, Paul, the, the interesting thing is there was a report last week, I think, in Spain saying Xavi had told Frankie de Jong he needs to reduce his salary. I don't think that's true. I think Xavi has actually quite carefully made every conversation he's had with players about their role in the team, right? So even if the implication is you might have to leave, you know, even when he's telling Umtiti, Ricky Puig, they're not going to be in the tour, he's saying, as you, as the coach, as the person who is selecting this starting eleven, you are not going to be part of the plans this season. You're not going to be on the bench. Therefore, it's probably in your interest to look for a move. And I think what he's done also with Frankie De Jong is say, look, it's one of the positions we're actually quite blessed with. You know, we have, uh, we've just signed Kessie, we've got uh, Busquets still, we've got Gavi, we've got Pedri. They're players who the fans really want to see playing. Therefore, you know, you are a player that is kind of disposable in that sense. And, that you know, in pre-season, he's playing at centre-back. And I think some people have interpreted that to be, you know, you really don't have a place in this midfield at the moment. And this might be where you have to play if you stay. I don't think it's a kind of, I'm pushing you out of the door, but it's your role isn't going to be what you would want it to be for Barcelona in an ideal in an ideal world. No, it's, it's certainly not a compliment. Um Paul, this is a really big question, but it's something that's sort of been nagging at me as we've been going along with the podcast. Is Joan Laporta doing a good job? Time will tell, because I think it's a huge gamble as well. It's a bit um, taking, I mean, go big or go home, basically. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think that, yeah. What's that in Catalan? Cacho uh, fascia. Nice, yeah, sounds even I don't better. even know how to translate it, to, to, to be honest, but yeah. I think time will tell, but I think He's not to put the blame on the mess that Barcelona is in. But if Barcelona doesn't sort out the way of it in 
some years probably he's going to be the one to blame because he's been the one that has pulled these levers that is making like this, this big gamble and the one who is playing with the PR stuff with yeah as we were saying just what are you selling to the press? What are you saying to the players? What are you saying to agents? Um, yeah, I mean, if if he finds his way out of it, I mean, he's going to do one of the biggest jobs, <laughs> one of the toughest tasks that has been done in football. But yeah, let's see. Let, let's see how it goes. I, th- I think what he's done is taken a huge bet on Xavi, his ability as a coach, right? Which is you know relatively unproven. You know, a few years in Qatar, obviously great history with Barcelona. I get that. Um, and also a huge bet on these players that they're signing because I don't they can't do this again next summer, right? They can't go and get six, seven, eight players next summer of of this level. I don't think. So, it you know, it's how much can Lewandowski do at the age of thirty three over the next three years, right? You probably only gain one and a half great years out of him, um, to to be honest. But I think Kunde, Rafinha, the good signs. But we've seen so many players who have been brilliant at other clubs go to Barcelona in the last few years and just shrink. Yeah, because he said as well that they were clinically dead when he took over the reins and that they're in intensive care and they're trying to find the way out of hospital. Um, If they were clinically dead when he took over, what on earth would they be like if all this didn't work out? Yeah, I think when he was was coming in as the presidency, you have to remember that was the period when the Super League was kicking off as well, right? So... One of the last things that uh, Bartomeu said in his farewell speech was, oh yeah, by the way, we've agreed to join the Super League. And this is like October 2020 before, you know, six or seven months before. And no one really took it seriously, right? It was, or at least not in England, people weren't looking. like the guy being dragged out at the pub at closing time shouting threats. Yeah, it was like, we're going to do that, we're going to do that, we're going to do that. And and he was was telling the truth. Um, so, so what it meant is that when Laporta was coming in and he was campaigning and he was saying, we're going to keep Messi and uh, we're going to do it over a barbecue, an Argentine barbecue, an asado, and uh, everything's going to be all right uh, because we've got this, this money coming in from the Super League. And then the Super League didn't happen. And that, was, you know, that would have been 300 million euros before you even start as the welcome money from JP Morgan. And really, when you think about it, Barcelona were probably the club that needed the Super League more than anyone, actually. Um, and it, it didn't work out for them. So that's why they then had to rethink, OK, what are we going to do? And I think probably the biggest repercussion, it's not always linked to the Super League, but I think the biggest repercussion actually of the Super League collapsing was probably Messi leaving Barcelona. In, in reality, because that money wasn't there in the end and they had no choice really but to let him go. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu.
So on the theory then of Barcelona roaring back and, and the plan of spending, um, spending the way out of trouble, so to speak, Adam, what what are the factors that Barca have used to choose these players? You said a moment ago that they can only do this once. So they're putting a lot of faith in these footballers. How have they picked them? Well, I, th- I think, over, you know, since Laporta came in, you've obviously got his opinion. And I think he's running this in a very presidential way. Um you know, he did have a CEO, Ferran Reverta. Um, I think there was a few disagreements and he left and he's not being replaced. So really that portfolio has just got bigger for Laporta. Um, now, in terms of recruitment, where well, you've got Jordi Cruyff as a technical secretary. Um, you've got Xavi as head coach. You've got Deco, who is Rafinha's agent, but he's also a scout for the club in South America. Um, I had to reread that part of the piece about three <laughs> times to get my head around exactly what Deco was. Uh, he also, I mean, Barcelona were wanting to make very clear that he didn't take any uh, intermediary payment as part of the Rafinha deal um, to, to Barcelona. But, you know, even Barcelona would probably accept it probably helped that Deco <laughs> has a fantastic relationship with Barcelona that and they were able the to, to, yeah. to, to have that patience from Rafinha and know that a deal could get done. Uh, down the line so you've got kind of that committee I suppose that's looking at targets and looking at transfers Matteo Alemani as well Matteo Alemani as well yeah Yeah. Matteo Alemani who is the the sporting director super well connected guy used to work at Valencia I think Barcelona previously as well yeah Um, Uh, I'm not sure Barcelona but at Valencia for sure and at Mallorca I think so you've got that that kind of committee that are selecting targets now if you were looking at maybe Liverpool as the prototype of I suppose, perfect recruitment in recent years or close to perfect recruitment. We know that da- you know data is at the forefront of that, that the data scientists, people like Dr. Ian Graham, uh, Will Spearman, people that have worked at Harvard in, uh, as nuclear scientists have been involved in, in, the, da- in the data uh, projects and helping to recommend players and identify patterns and all this kind of thing. At Barcelona, in the last few years, they've had an amazing... Uh, project called the Barca Innovation Hub, and the guy who ran that, Javi Fernandez, is you know at every kind of analytics conference, he is one of the the keynote speakers. Barcelona, I think that Barcelona themselves have hosted some of these conferences where you get like the great and good of basically all the biggest nerds in football get together and give speeches, at, and and it's and it's really fascinating, and they share ideas. The problem is, despite having you know some of the, the smartest people in the room. Barcelona haven't really used this for recruitment in the last few years at all. Um, they've used it at stages and you know in terms of performance for the first team and and things like that. But in terms of recruitment, it's it's not been a central part. You know, Barcelona's been far more led on. You know, we're Barcelona. We sign the most famous players. We have relationships with certain agents, which sometimes make recommendations, and that's kind of how it works. Everyone wanted Rafinha this summer. Everyone wanted Kunde this summer. Lewandowski is a big famous name. Pablo Torre from from Racing Santander. Yeah, and I mentioned the, him to be fair. Yeah, probably yeah. the best young player in Spain of his age at, at, the, at the moment. Um, they beat Real Madrid to him. So you know, someone like Rafinha does have fantastic data, right? So someone from Barcelona could come to us and say, "Well, yeah, like his data is fantastic. Of course, we would use that." But is it really at the forefront in the way that it has been at you know clubs like Liverpool and Manchester City? Probably not. So despite all of this <laughs> and all the question marks and everything else, Barca are actually looking quite all right shape on the pitch heading into this season. Certainly better than they were at this stage of last year. So we asked our Spanish football correspondent Dermot Corrigan what the expectations are like at the Camp Nou for this campaign. It's super difficult to try and predict what's going to happen at Barca this season with the team. Um, assuming all of the, the new signs get registered... Um, assuming they can clear out some of the other players that Xavi doesn't want, they, they sort out their wage bill, they get the La Liga, allow everybody to to play for them. In theory, they have a really good squad. Xavi seems to have done very well, even on in pre-season. You could see how people are knitting together. Rafinha's been really good, assuming that Lewandowski's going to score a lot of goals. The players seem to be behind Xavi, they understand what he's going to do. So yeah, they could put in a, a challenge for the La Liga title. Madrid will probably be favourites, but, but Barca will be second favourites for it, and it, it wouldn't be a huge surprise. The other possibility is that La Liga say, no, you can't register these players. Things start kicking off. Um, there are players who are left in the stand who, who are training. 
um, who are not able to play. Maybe some players are, are really forced out. Things start to get, get problematic in the dressing room. Then it's going to be very difficult. And then they might not achieve anything this season. But assuming that Laporta does what he wants and Javi gets the team that's going, then then maybe they could they could win the title. It's hard to see them winning the Champions League, but it was hard to see Madrid win the Champions League this year as well. Um, so better than last year, I'd say, is how the team will do. I just think that Barcelona are in a position to fight for La Liga for sure. That they have, probably they are not main favourites because they are competing against a team that is the Champions League winner and the La Liga winner for, for the last season. But I think that Barcelona has a squad. I don't know if probably better than, than, than Real Madrid is a lot to say, but they have nothing to fear. Plus, they have this hunger, this, this will to fight for everything um, and to try to win everything. So I think that we can expect Barcelona to try to win the La Liga. And for sure, I think that the Barcelona book is going to be important to be at least at quarterfinals of the Champions League. And inside the club, they, they believe that if they are lucky with the draw and with the uh, players informed that they expect to have. Why not do a big thing on the Champions League? But yeah, I think that these are like the minimum requirements that you have to expect from Barcelona right now. Inside the club, um, there are people that know that Xavi is no Guardiola, but they believe that probably is like the best person to to be the guy that has to find his way out of Barcelona. Just when they lost like their their identity inside the pitch, probably there is no one like Xavi that can illustrate what Barcelona was back then. So. And do the fans feel more confident, Paul? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The fans are like really behind Chubby. They just love him. The other question, I suppose, as well, is exactly how all of this has been received by the other La Liga clubs, probably most notably Real Madrid. So we asked Dermot exactly that. Yeah, there's a lot of amusement around um, just speaking to people at different clubs, people around Madrid, at, at kind of some of the other clubs who, who might feel that they could challenge Barca maybe to get in for a Champions League spot or for the Copa del Rey or, or who'd feel that you know Barca maybe are, are pulling a fast one a little bit with, with what they're doing so they're not there's more more than getting angry at what Barca are doing it's kind of a bit of amusement it's, it's a looking on and going like wow like this is this is crazy what, what they're trying to do they kind of feel that they'll get away with it and um, everybody around La Liga kind of expects Barca to things just to work out for them because that's what they're used to. They're used to it being like some kind of chaos going on at, at Barca or at Madrid in, in the past and for things to work out. The situation at Madrid is is very interesting. It's kind of complicated by the fact that they're they're such partners with the Super League, you know, as is in the piece about how um, some of the levers have been put together with help from the same people who are helping out with the Super League and who are close to Madrid as well. So Madrid, in a way, are kind of partners with Barca in what they're trying to do. So it's it's not a case that Madrid are, are complaining about it behind the scenes or, or trying to, to stop Laporta or, or briefing to the press or whatever about it. They're also just kind of looking on. And, and Ancelotti and the Madrid players are also um, in public, at least, like Ancelotti saying, like, we'll just get on with our job. He, he'd like to see a strong Barca to play against. They, they hope that the Clásico is as big a game as, as it can be. They want to beat Barca as well, but there's not... There's not as much anger and uh, at what Barcelona are doing around Spain as maybe there is in England at some of the English clubs who feel they might have been messed around a bit um, or English fans looking at it and going, um, like, how can they get away with this? People in Spain are used to, to strange things happen at Barca, used to them kind of winging a little bit and getting away with it. And, yeah, everybody's just really interested to see how it's going to play out over the next weeks and months. Adam, I, I suppose if you're Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, Sevilla, whoever else, are you happy that, that this is going on? I, I... It sounds like, in your piece, actually, that people close to Perez at Real helped this happen, but I can't imagine the club itself are, are pleased that Barcelona are planning on roaring back in this way. Well, it's really interesting because like, we always define Barcelona and Real Madrid as bitter rivals. You know, if Barcelona are happy, Real Madrid are unhappy. If Madrid are winning, then Barcelona... Biggest rivalry in world football, effectively. Right. That's uh, a lazy opinion, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, Easy it, opinion, you know, lazy's on, wrong. Yeah, on, on the pitch it is. Um but off the pitch, they actually have quite a lot in common now in the sense of in La Liga, for example, La Liga, you know, they wanted to do a very similar uh, deal, actually, to what Barcelona have done for the television rights. So La Liga have done a deal with CVC, which is a different private equity firm. And their deal, rather than 25% for the next 25 years, is 8% for the next 50 years. Now, you can La Liga and Barcelona will argue forever over who's got the better deal there. Um, but Barcelona and Madrid both rejected the CVC deal. 
Um, so they were they were united on that. They're also united a little bit like you know we talk about the big six in the Premier League who consider that they are they're the club that drive the interest that generate the money and therefore they think we are entitled to have to have a greater share of it right they don't look they look at this idea of sort of equitable sharing or more equitable sharing with the other 20 the other 17 18 clubs and think well why on earth do we have to do that when we're the ones that everyone's tuning in to watch right when any deals being done for international tv with la liga it's for barcelona and madrid it's not for I don't know, Real Zaragoza and Alicante, right? Not that they're even in that division. But um, it's not for, uh, you know... Uh, Real Vallecano? It's not for Real Vallecano and Getafe, right? <laughs> that's probably that's probably a better a better way to frame it at the moment. So so that's one way they, they're united. And it means they're sort of constantly sparring with Javier Tebas, who's this really formidable chairman of La Liga. You know, he is... He's, he's willing quite a sparer, take, actually, isn't he? Yeah, he takes them on and... They have a go back. It's, I just think it's pretty brave and healthy, you know. Compared to, for example, Richard Masters in the Premier League, you know, Man City have been under investigation for FFP by the Premier League for three years, right? You wouldn't, you would never really hear Richard Masters talking about that in the way that probably Tebas would be if it was Barcelona or Real Madrid, in, you know, in a similar position. The other thing they're really united by is they are two of the three clubs still committed to the Super League project. That is the huge thing here. And I think Madrid look at it and say, you know, for us to be successful in any form, we need this rivalry to be strong. And this rivalry is strong when we both have good teams. So we can't have, you know, we don't want Barcelona above us, but we also can't have them on the canvas. You know, they don't want a knockout blow for for Barcelona because that rivalry is what drives each other's revenues. They were in... In Las Vegas, in the in the big game that they have on the position tour, um, and they had lunch together, basically with with Juventus uh, officials uh, as well, just to discuss which kind of business they can do together. I mean, it's on their interest basically to keep that rivalry alive. Pro- probably like the best times or the best era in terms of like shaping the brand of Barcelona and Real Madrid, where Mourinho and Guardiola, this kind of when the rivalry was at his worst stage in, in like a sporting terms. Um, it was the best for them, for the brands, for just creating them um, and them and not just them, but, but La Liga as well, like just the biggest probably point of interest in the world football. If they want to get back to that, Barcelona and Real Madrid has to um, have a boost to their rivalry and just to be again like the big teams that they used to be, basically. I think that, that there's also this massive tension between you know those three clubs and UEFA um, at, at the moment, and that is it has really played out in preseason, right? Barcelona and Madrid went to went to the states and played against each other in Juventus and a couple of American and is it a Mexican team, I think as well. It's not a coincidence that you didn't see the normal, you know, normally you would see maybe Man United rocking up there or AC Milan or PSG. There has been a real sort of mission that these clubs that are holding out for the Super League, you know, we're, we're going to be careful about how much we're fraternising with them. There's a guy called Charlie Stilitano, who is an American businessman who tends to organise things like, uh, you know, pre-season friendlies in the States over the last few years. And there was a court filing by Charlie Stilitano um, earlier this year that was reported by the New York Times, um, in which he basically said that, he, you know, he'd had text messages from Sheffrin saying, you know, because you're trying to organise games between Super League clubs and non-Super League clubs out in the States, that makes you basically an enemy of me and UEFA. These Super League clubs are trying to destroy UEFA. Therefore, you know, we're not prepared to work with you if you're going to do this, right? That's how strongly they feel. And when Sheffrin was asked to comment, the only thing he said was, I'm annoyed that my private texts have been released in this court document. It wasn't, <laughs> I don't feel like this. So th- there is this real you know, this real hostility still. And I think there's also Madrid and Barca, Juve, probably as well as like the English-American-owned clubs still have this massive issue with Man City and PSG and what they consider that they're doing to European football. We saw it when Mbappe renewed at PSG and you had La Liga sending incredible letters, really, saying that it was an insult 
to European football. It was risking the future sustainability of football, all this kind of stuff. And then at the top of European football, at UEFA, the European Club Association, you basically have PSG running the show now. So that's all still got to be resolved. I think there is a feeling in in sort of UEFA ECA circles that if any of those three clubs are going to come back in next, it would be Barcelona rather than Real Madrid or Juventus. It's gone a bit quiet recently, but there, there is this sense that Real Madrid and Juventus are the most dogmatic and committed to the Super League project, whereas maybe for Barcelona it was more necessity, right? The financial situation was forcing them in. But publicly, Barcelona are absolutely committed and are engaged in you know, court proceedings at the European Court of Justice in support of the Super League project. Wow, what a podcast this has been. I mean, we could have gone on so much longer on all these different aspects. There is so much to go at and we're only talking about, in essence, one football club, aren't we? And Paul, the sort of perfect end to this mad episode would be something that Laporta has spoken about this week as well. That's a potential return for Lionel Messi. I mean, this is the only way that this fairy tale of finance that Barcelona have pulled off gets any more romantic, isn't it? Yeah, just I think that we needed to add a bit of madness in this. Yeah, <laughs> just a little no... bit more. Yeah, make yeah, it even yeah. more yeah, messy. More. I do apologize. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, no, I mean, let's see how it goes. I'm sure that Messi would like that, and I'm sure that, uh, that I don't know if all the Barcelona fans would like that. Of course, I would love to see Messi, but it's hard enough to say goodbye to him once. Um, just yeah. you don't want to do it twice. But yeah, I mean, um, it would be like a romantic way to end a career but I mean there's a lot to do for Barcelona right now to reach that position in which they can bring Messi back in basically I think we we could spend like like another podcast just to talk about this <laughs> what what should need to happen to see Messi back in a Barcelona shirt but yeah I think that Barcelona are going to be busy enough in the coming weeks to try to register players in um, just to have in mind that Messi can go back to the squad anytime soon yeah, absolutely. And I think you two are going to be busy keeping an eye on exactly what happens at Barcelona, not just in the rest of this summer transfer window, but for years to come as well. Thank you both for your company. Thank you for your explainers. Thank you for the article as well. Go and read it if you can on The Athletic right now. Remember, you can get a subscription if you've not got one for £1 a month for the first six months. Go to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. But for the minute, Adam, Paul, thank you so much for being with us. And people at home, thank you for listening as well. I hope you learned as much about Barcelona's situation as I did doing this. We'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.